2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to part two of the Bible Draft. draft. Allow me to reintroduce the contestants from Massachusetts, but now living in Hawaii, Jonathan Seventh-day Sabbath Leonardo. From Hawaii as well, probably just down the street, Tyler Michael Morrison. From the island of Maui? Benjamin Williams. And I think this... I'm the only one not in Hawaii on this podcast. Justin Koo. And uh, yet, this is your contestants for the Bible Draft. draft. Uh, Part two of the Bible Draft. All kidding aside, uh, if you haven't heard part one of the Bible Draft, I think it's episode 90. Go back into season two. And uh, the Bible draft is just a bunch of buddies picking out Bible verses. And our theme was commonly misunderstood Bible verses. You can uh, go back and hear the first two uh, draft picks for each person. And in this episode, we're doing the second two draft picks for each person. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Let's jump in uh, to the podcast now. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Buckle up, strap in. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bible Draft. Uh, Guys, I'm not going to lie. There's been a lot of scuttlebutt. There's been a lot of talk in the background on who won last episode. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, because we're recording this in season three, uh, near the end of season two, we recorded the first Bible Draft. And uh, there was a lot of talk. Did you guys hear any of the talk? Oh yeah. On on oh, who? Yeah. Oh, Justin, who? Who I'm, do you? What I do mean, you the think? talk that I heard was about a, a particular section of one particular draftee towards the end, towards the towards the middle, late section of the middle, towards the end. And uh, this person was was. Yo, uh, forget that, Justin. <laughs> all of y'all exercising the gift of gab. <laughs> You're all the losers because none of y'all stopped me from droning on and on and on. So y'all ain't real friends. 
What, no, what? and I think we all get to win because we get to go back and listen to it to understand. I don't know, man. Nobody's trying to go back and be bored again. <laughs> My favorite parts were the parts where you enticed Richard to continue on and on and on. I Hey, okay. I like how this is starting off yet. I was going to say that the scuttlebutt around the campfire, that – was that Ben won the episode? No, <laughs> I'm taking that back. Okay, little, well, that's a little bit of a different, different if, turn. If you're arguing with me, Tyler, because you think you won, then Ben <laughs> definitely won. <laughs> I can't argue with that, but I did win. <laughs> you, you thought you won. All right. Well, I'm just gonna go over uh, just what, who took what, just preparing, preparing your minds for the this next go round. Justin is going to be going first because remember we're doing a snake draft, and uh, so he went last, so he's going first. Uh, he picked First John one eight and Second Corinthians five seventeen, and so his category his categories that he has left are Old Testament and New Testament. Jonathan, you picked uh, keep reading and epistles. You you had First Corinthians First Corinthians fifteen and Romans five, and so you also have Old Testament and New Testament left. I picked keep reading and gospels. I had Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And then I had the prodigal son and gospel. So I have old and epistles left. Ben, you picked gospels and Old Testament. You had Matthew 19 and Psalms 37.4. And then Tyler, you have, uh, you have epistles and keep reading left and you pick so the categories up. were old testament new testament keep reading and epistles old testament gospels epistles no. and keep reading so okay. the gospels just right in that section and so yeah um being real i i do believe that uh that ben probably won the episode just because people were really <laughs> hyping him up and you know what i give the people what they want you know that's that's it was all over twitter Instagram, MySpace. It was in the metaverse. MySpace was where I got my biggest following from that episode. I you did get two more followers. Um mm -hmm. Tyler, you really you really think that you won, huh? Yes. Really think. I look at the verses I picked. Jeremiah seventeen nine. Tell me that we don't come across this verse almost every single time we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. That the human heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Very misunderstood. True. Super generic, and, yeah. And Easily, easily explained using Ezekiel uh, and a million other verses. And then uh, Matthew 13, that pearl, that thing, it slaps. It, it just really hits. One of the Those questions I have picks. for you, though, Tyler, is does Jeremiah 17 fairly fit in the keep reading category? Like, categorically, does it actually fit? Because your keep reading is like read several books later. No, <laughs> I didn't use it for keep reading. I used it for Old Testament. Oh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Keep Understand the whole narrative of Scripture, then it's really <laughs> easy. the entire Bible. <laughs> yeah. If keep you reading keep going to Revelation, and you're yeah, going to know what 13, I'm talking about. 1, you, it really clears these things up. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought it was, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, a bunch of people thought it was an amazing episode uh, because a lot of stuff was cleared up for them. And with, with all that being said, we're just going to jump into it right now. Ooh. And Justin, you, you got the first pick. Uh, we're going to go two rounds today because, uh, and this will finish the commonly misunderstood or taken out of context Bible verse draft. Uh, and so you're going to start us off. My okay. Brother. So if I, if I understand correctly, I'm starting us off, but I also get the last pick. 
That is correct. All right. So, so I got, I got a question. This is more for the narrative of the podcast and what we think is going to be the most entertaining way to start or end the podcast. Should I drop the bomb at the beginning so that we get great retention and people want to watch the entire episode? Oh my goodness. Stop or talking about very you're end. do the podcast and just do the podcast. <laughs> Can we leave oh, this see? in? Let's leave this in. Now, leave Jonathan. No, Jonathan's going to be coming for Justin this or, whole or, or, or should I do the, the meta podcasting where I say, you know what? I'm going to save the best for last. <laughs> and then that way everyone listens to the end of the podcast. What hey, do you think, Richard? You're, you're the guru. But you you're the social media maven. You tell us. You guys, are you, like a, you guys are like a relationship couple that always talks about being in the relationship and is never just in it. Like, just do Jonathan the Jonathan is just upset because he tried to get on the micro game and then he pitter-pattered like seven pieces of content later. He wasn't cut out for the game. <laughs> it doesn't you know say for the listener, say- his, his hands are over his face and he's getting disgruntled, if <laughs> you will. Okay, do your pick, Justin. I want to know what it is. All right, all right. I'll, I'll save the bomb for the very, very, very end, and then that way people can be pissed off later, not at the beginning of the show. They'll, they'll, they'll ease into the good gospel stuff. All right, so my verse that I'd like to take a look at is in the book of Proverbs. I think it's chapter 24, Ooh. and uh, let's see here, verse 16. I think this is one that I hear all the time, and it's a good verse, and I, I actually think that the way that people employ it is not necessarily bad, but I think it actually misses at least what I understand now to be the central point of the passage. The passage reads this, For the righteous falls seven times and arises up again. I think this was actually a verse that I, I quoted maybe in one of my first sermons ever. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. So the way that I've heard this verse used a lot is, Hey man, if you fall, it's okay. Just get back up. We all fall down, and it's, it's okay. You can fall down seven times. Just get back up, get back up, get back up. And, and, and the focal point of this passage has always been, if you mess up, get back up, which is, you know, true. Yeah, of course, right? Like, if you fall down, don't just stay on the ground. But I think one of the things that gospel has illuminated for me is the point of this passage and the point of the good news. It's not so much that we're focusing on our efforts to be able to get back up, or our ability to fall. That, those are kind of conse- you know, inconsequential as, as far as the main point of this passage. The main point of the passage, as I see it, is, is that you're righteous. And I think that the interesting thing is that for me, when I used to understand this verse, I used to think that as I was performing correctly, as, I, as my track record was good, then I was righteous. And then every time I stumbled and fall, then I became wicked. And it was through repentance. It was through this kind of, uh, emotional flag. How, what's, how do you word it? When you beat yourself up emotionally, emotional, emotional self-torment or spiritual self-torment, that that was how I would somehow earn my way back to right mm. standing with God. But what I think the verse is actually highlighting is that, hey, even in your stumbling and even in your falling, if you are in Christ, you're actually righteous. And so this is where I think the phrase that we've kind of, we've echoed in, in the community a bit is never let your ability to sin define you as sin. And for me, this has been clear, uh, really powerful for gospel. And as far as uh, confidence and lack of shame and, and still being able to be honest and, and, you know, being able to confess when I do fall, but also not spiraling out of control and still being able to walk the walk of faith is because even the righteous fall, but that's the point. They're still the righteous. Dude, I think one of the things as you're speaking that what it highlights to me is that in the Old Testament, there actually are righteous people. Yeah. In the Bible, like righteousness is a thing that does exist, 
and there are people who are righteous. Uh, I think hearing the gospel and growing up, what was pounded into my head was no one is righteous. Nobody ever. We're all garbage. Every single, even the Gentiles, they're garbage. You know, those who are unbelievers are garbage, but we're in the same place right there with them. And so hearing this is like, oh no, that like there are righteous people and this is how they behave. And uh, I don't know if you've read Psalms recently, but the amount of times that like David all refers to himself, chapters? <laughs> I mean, just any of them, like he just, okay. David just oh, like every single Psalm refers to himself as righteous. He's like, God, come and help me because I'm righteous. Like, and then I remember I used to read that and I would think he just didn't really know what he was talking about. He's, he'll, he'll figure it out or something. Like I just had, like, there was no answer to that. Like either he was delusional, he meant something different, or maybe I was wrong. And I think I was wrong. Mm. the so i don't know jonathan do you remember when i called you and i was like oh i'm i'm in a bad spot and i didn't know the gospel or nothing and and i was just like help me i like this keep going with it yeah and uh when we talked for like an hour and then at the end you were like what's your relationship to sin we and i read romans 6 when i read romans 6 i was like wait this says that i should consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, I'm free. And then I gave you two verses to to oppose that idea. One of them, we <clears> already <throat> went over. Oh, maybe we haven't yet. But this was one of them. And I said, but the righteous fall seven times and get up again. And you're like, Tyler, the righteous fall. I don't know if you remember that. But it was like this verse had been a staple in explaining my existence as a Christian. Hmm. I fall and I just... What makes me righteous is if I keep getting back up. But in the context of this verse that, as Justin just highlighted, is actually, like you go to the verse before, don't lie in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Don't do any violence to his home. Because the righteous fall seven times and gets up again, but the wicked fall to calamity. And it goes on to say, don't rejoice when the wicked fall. And it just hits that it's not, it's not even about like trying to say that I'm righteous, so much as it is that those who are in relationship with God, he picks them up. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Well, it's just important to recognize within the context of um, calamity, misfortune, and circumstances that can come upon people. That Proverbs 24 is in the context of what may befall somebody, Right particularly verses 15, like don't lie in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. So the righteous is in his dwelling. They have a dwelling. It's like, don't be the person who plots against the righteous. And it's like, why? Because even if the righteous are to fall into calamity or into circumstance, they rise back up. And the reason they rise back up is because of the category that they belong to. The righteous do not stay down. And the reason the righteous don't stay down is because they're in right relationship with the God who is forever faithful and is their fortress and stronghold. So you look at Job, where Job, in his understanding of righteousness and in his righteousness, though he fell into calamity, he was raised back up. He stood back up. Right. And so that this is what Job one says about him, like Job one, that Job was blameless and upright. I think certain translations even use the word perfect. 
Yeah, yeah. And so this is, you know, this this draws back to memory, uh, a famous, well, uh, at least a quotation I know of Martin Luther, where Martin Luther, the summary is like, even if God himself were to come and to tell me that I had lost salvation, he's like, I wouldn't believe him. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> uh, he's like, because I stand on the promises, I stand on these words, right? Mm. So like, this is what the righteous do. And that's why they rise. Yeah. Yeah. Martin Luther, he has this uh, quote where he's like, even if God himself came and told me that, um, he said, listen to this. He goes, if God himself appeared to me in his majesty and said, you are not worthy of my grace. I will not, I will change my plan and not keep my promise to you. I would not have yield to him, but it would be necessary to fight most vehemently against God himself. It is as Job says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. If he should cast me into the depth of hell and place me in the midst of devils, I would still believe that I would be saved. Therefore, I want to see and hear nothing else, but I shall live and die in this faith. Mm. And that was kind of sus at the beginning, but when you read the whole thing, that's freaking dope. Mm-hmm. This is like Paul, like even if an, if, a, if an angel appears and preaches a different gospel, he's like, nah. That ain't it, because we stand on the word of God. He starts, he's like, I shall cling to the word of God and be content with that. By it I shall die, and by it I shall live. Man. Strong endorsements for my pick. I appreciate it, guys. Now, now that there's a different verse association in my mind, where I used to associate that verse with Romans 7, and this like sin-waiting-to-happen experience, now I actually would associate it more with God works all things together for the good of those who love him and keep his word. Like there's this, there's this incredible faithfulness of God towards those who believe him, who believe his promises. That's dope. Good pick, Justin. Good pick. Solid, solid start. We'll see how it keeps going. Uh, Jonathan, you're up. Yeah, we'll see. Jonathan, you're up. Uh, You're round number three for you. And what, what do I have left on the board for me? You have left for your categories keep no old testament and gospels old testament and gospels old testament and gospels yeah you could pick either one it's open to you right now bruh i thought i had keep reading oh no you keep reading and that's where that was your first yourself. choice yeah, that, <laughs> that was my first choice yeah first corinthians 15 it's not 31. looking good for the brother well can i trade a pick Trade, we have a trade a pick? Swap, to Cincinnati? Oh, like, that, makes sense. Like, that makes sense, though. We, I feel like swapping picks for, We haven't talked about trades. That's okay. true. <laughs> How would this happen? Discuss this. Well, well, pay attention, Commissioner. Is there anybody that's willing to trade with me a either keep reading or an epistles for an Old Testament or a Gospels? Wait, so you get two Gospels? I don't think we're going to do I thought we were just. Fair. I thought we were switching trade order, not, not like yeah, the actual no, we like, were just, Justin no, Jefferson for Cole no. Komet or something. That's how so it was like, I'm going to get all works. the epistles. You can't be amending a draft now. That's how a draft works. I can trade. If I have a willing partner, I could trade. Just put me on the clock. You didn't even put me on the clock. Put me on the clock. Let me see if I can figure out a trade. If I can't figure out a trade, I'm going to go all with right. what I But I should be able to figure out a trade. This is America. This is the land all of the free. The break. Right, see if, I pick with what I want. This is the free market, baby. <laughs> Any know, of you fellows willing to trade with this man? How dare you? you? How, how, dare you how dare you try to oppress me with the tyranny of your dictatorship, Richard? 
How this dare version you. of stalling is much more entertaining than last episode's stalling. I am definitely not trading with him. Is anyone else willing to trade? <laughs> I like That's a hard picks. pass, brother. <laughs> ben, I'm looking at you. Here's the problem. I, I have my two verses lined up. Come on, you yo, you you love the Old Testament. I'll give you my Old Testament for uh, either a New Testament or <laughs> keep reading. That's true. I, ben I can't does do love it. The old. I'm sorry. Don't I do you love have the Old advanced Testament. degrees in the Old Testament? Like, shouldn't this be a rap for you? Yes, but I already have. I already had in my mind where I was going, and now he throw me for because I thought we were starting a whole new draft. I didn't know I was restricted to the previous. I didn't know oh. this was day two after four months. Someone oh, no. was not it's paying attention to the introduction of this episode. I don't pay attention to hey, Richard it's Talks. Cool. Do, do Gospels, and then you can set up your Old Testament for the rest of the show as, as Tyler and I drop jewels. No, that's all right. We can go to, we can go to did it, I, if it's an Old Testament, one that I think is uh, often misunderstood is Genesis. We can go to Genesis, Genesis oh, 4. Oh, okay. Oh. I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, doggy daddies. He goes Genesis if we go to, six. If we, nah, we're not gonna do Genesis six, you know. I but if you go to Genesis, Genesis four, uh, and um, you go to Genesis four, and it's in verse um, verse seven of Genesis four, verse seven. Um, this is the famous story of Cain and Abel, and Cain is angry because his offering is not accepted, while Abel's is accepted. And in verse seven, it's as the Lord is speaking to him. Actually, we can go back up to verse six. So why are you angry? Why is your face falling? He's all pouting. And like, my, my, my offer wasn't accepted. What was me? Verse seven says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And this is. Uh, often been seen as a verse where sin is this monster that's ready to overtake Cain, but he has to, through his own free agency, be the sort of person that subdues it by the power of will of like, no, I will not be angry. I will actually be righteous and I will decide to, right? And so um, there's an alternative reading and the alternative reading is in relationship to the Hebrew grammar and the antecedent, meaning the referent, the, the prior reference that the word um, it is referring to in verse seven. So its desire is for you. You must uh, rule over it, right? That, that the its desire is not about an offering that its desire is actually back in relationship to Abel so that his desire is for you. Right. And then the word for sin hata is not only the word for sin, but it's also sin offering. Right. So that the reframing around this grammatical understanding would be that like, yo, Cain, why are you so angry or sad about having your offering not accepted? Like, isn't there a sin offering waiting for you? And the person who has the sin offering that could offer it to him is the one who keeps the lambs. Abel. Because Abel is the keeper of the lamb. Cain is the keeper of the ground. 
Like, isn't there a sin offering waiting for you? Like, his desire is for you. So if you ask him for one, he'll give you one. And you're still going to rule over him because you are the firstborn. You think that because your offering has not been accepted, that somehow it discounts you as the firstborn. It doesn't. You're still going to be the firstborn with all the rights and privileges. Humble yourself enough to ask your brother for a lamb. And his desire is for you. He'll give you one. But in his pride, he resists doing that. And in turn, he imposes his right as the more superior brother through violence and not through blessing. And so then he kills his brother as an example of him having dominion over his brother within his flesh, as opposed to demonstrating uh, humility and meekness and still standing as the son of promise because he is the primogenitor, because he's the firstborn. So there's this grammatical way to understand that what motivates Abel's actions is this severe pride in not wanting to give any way to his younger brother. And so grammatically, it's a more beautiful picture of even the offering of, of, of Jesus as a brother, right? Where in Hebrews chapter 12, where it's like, you know, the blood of Jesus uh, speaks better things, speaks out better even than the blood of um, Abel, right? So that while Abel could have offered Cain a lamb and his desire was for Cain to still be the brother who stewarded the promise as the firstborn, that even more so now the blood of Jesus testifies to his desire being for us so that we might be redeemed by what he offered, which was himself as a sacrifice. So it's just a, a really cool sort of um, uh, different framing around this text that it seems that the grammar allows for. I, di I didn't know that before. Did you, you boys know that? I had no idea. Yes, because we did a whole episode of Internet Church on this, Ricardo, which you hosted. Daggum it. <laughs> conversation were you leading <laughs> you see i'm not the only one that doesn't pay attention <laughs> we did a whole episode of internet i'm not gonna you play let myself. a small group on I, this very i was concept. playing right now oh, oh nice 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 good job good job oh it was you a joke. You had me. i'm gonna see i'm glad now. that oh, large ricardo cat. is so trustworthy that we i mean it's, <laughs> yeah he wouldn't lie to us about that kind no, of, of thing not. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Anyone else want to chime in on uh, what Jonathan said there? Apparently, we covered it in Internet Church. So, uh... <laughs> so real quick, if y'all don't know what he's talking about, you better start tuning into Internet Church. Every oh, other nice Friday segue. Afternoon. Good plug. Good plug. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We do Internet Church every other Friday. We would love for y'all to join us. Yeah. <laughs> ben shaking his head. <laughs> oh, man. I don't so, think yeah, Ben's ever uh, come to Internet Church before. Would anyone else want, like to comment on Jonathan's uh, draft choice here? I think that's a strong pick because I think uh, it's, a different, it's a different type of pick. It's a verse that people don't necessarily think about that often. But when they do, I can, I can pretty confidently say I have not ever heard somebody interpret the text uh, and give it that responsible of a reading in my life. Like that was the first time I, I'm pretty positive in my life when we did the Internet Church uh, on it. That was the first time I'd ever heard it interpreted that way, and it really is even better than it seemed. 
Yeah, because if the idea is that you have to rule over sin, I mean, it kind of lends to this whole network of I, it's all on my back. Like, I have to figure out how to solve my now. own problems. And like Jesus has, he bought the car, but I got to figure out how to maintain the car. I got to be able to figure out how to drive the car. Like, and it still ends up being some, some meaningful sense of salvation through works. I must figure out how to rule over sin. And as anyone who's ever tried to rule over sin, we quickly find out that it's not that simple. And so to know that the sin offering has already been provided, man, that sounds so, a lot like the good news. Yeah, because think about it. The, the imagery is that the problem of sin, even in the offering, is overcome. So sin itself is overcome via the offering. The real problem is the pride that resists the reception of the free gift, hmm. which is 100% like in this framing, this is first John one, eight. Hmm. This is Cain is resisting the blood that would clean him and keep him clean because he doesn't want to receive it from he, who he thinks is inferior, which in the context of the Jewish story is an indictment on Israel because they wouldn't receive salvation through he who was really lowly in their eyes. Yeah, right? that, that, that just brought it home for me. That's good. That's real. Oh, yeah, I'm out here making picks. See, y'all should have traded with me, but no. Well, it's hey, not hard to make a something? play when you have an extra eight minutes to think of a good verse. <laughs> oh, my. I think Lord, what, one, one last very quick thing. I think it's really important, though, the idea that, like, sin isn't this thing that's crouching and, and going wild mm -hmm. on us. Because if the, if the thing that gives sin the most power over our lives is our belief that it has power over our lives, then verses like this can really damage. Because if I, like, you know, if, if I'm dead to sin and Jesus has literally won the victory and lives within me, then one of the best ways for me not to be able to live in that is for me to believe that sin is this thing crouching and it's going to get me and I need to do it. And so I think it's super, it's super, super important for me to hear what you're saying, John. Nothing. Uh, because... <laughs> <laughs> Because I, it's really easy for me to fall back into my mindset of like, oh, yeah, like Jesus is good and has won, but also sin is still really big and coming for me. And that itself gives sin the power it doesn't actually have. Like the animating factor of sin is my, I don't know, my gift to it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the animating, the, the animating power of sin, according to Romans 7, right, is... The moment the law, the moment that righteous, righteousness speaks contrary to it, right? So the law speaks, the law is righteous, and it says, don't do this, don't covet, is the example in Romans 7, right? And then what is it? Sin, sin is animated. It is aroused within us. Hmm. And so if we still think that it is arousable, right, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're constantly giving, your, you can give yourself over to it. You're always caught in between two uh two masters and you is 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 quickly you travel the road of um double-mindedness real real quick because then then i mean there's so many lies that you're pointing out right there ben because then all of a sudden you start to believe the lie of a third position where here's the offering here's sin what will i choose and no there is no third position you're either in one or the other hmm. if you're if you think that there's still a choice to be made then you're squarely on one side
Yeah, you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Yeah, you're not free to choose whose slave you're going to be, <laughs> right? You're either slave to one or the other. Very good. Okay, we're moving on to my pick, pick number three for me, round three. And uh, I'm calling an audible at the line of scrimmage, and we're just going to go back one chapter. This is my Old Testament pick. It's Genesis 3, and I'm reading verse 6 right now. It says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay. What does it not say there that we've commonly heard? Don't, let let me tell you what it doesn't say there that we've commonly heard. That Eve was by herself. Was she by herself? We do not know. The Bible does not say. What it does say, though, is this. <laughs> I'm real nervous right now. It does say <laughs> that she took of its root and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Why is this important? That I, or why do I think, why do I think it's important <laughs> that it doesn't say that she was by herself? Yeah. Um, because so much of the time we have heard this. Well, the reason why Eve fell was that she was alone. Amen, and brother. while I do not believe that, while I do believe that isolation is a big problem in, in, in the church, and if we isolate ourselves and we, and we live in shame, that problems do ensue. That is not the reason why she fell, according to Scripture. It seems to me that the reason she fell is she was deceived. She was deceived. And it seems like she gave the fruit to Adam. And that's literally what it says. It says that he was there. And uh, something else I've learned is that when I try to add stuff to Scripture to make it fit a narrative of whatever sermon I'm trying to preach or whatever point I'm trying to make, like, this is why we need to stay together. Because if we're wandering in the gardens by ourselves, this is what happens. Sin And it ruins everybody, and it's because you were walking by yourself. While, like I said, don't isolate yourself, I don't think that that's what this text is saying. I think she was deceived, she ate the fruit, and she gave the fruit to Adam, who was, he says he was there. And then you raise a a really good point, Richard. Oh, yes. I was so nervous. He's like, is he going to oh, disagree? Is he going to yeah, agree? If he disagrees, no like, I'm going to get embarrassed <laughs> on my own. It's like, Richard say it was a good renegade with, with, with Eminem. I'm gonna get no, I didn't say it was a good show. pick. It was just a good point. You, you raise a really good point at not giving priority to some sort of homiletical nugget or some sort of nugget that comes out of homiletical license that we take with the text. So if the text says that Eve was with her husband in some sort of, you know, offhanded way enough so that we could say, well, you know, Eve was probably alone at first and then her husband was with her. So that then we imagine this scenario and the point that we make comes from the imagined scenario that we explain through homiletical, uh, through rhetoric. Like that's just to me the too often. That's just like the knowledge of that's just the knowledge of good and evil. And we're trying to raise good over evil and good by our own measure of being able to say this, this is better practice. 
this is the best practice for us to do, then it just becomes moralism. Just We're in case anybody house right now. <laughs> just in case somebody doesn't know how homiletical is pertaining to sermon preaching or writing. Just just so somebody knows. Yeah, so just the rhetoric. And it also makes this point like like the reason there's sin ever committed is because of deceit, because we are deceived. And sometimes it's easier to be deceived when you don't have a brother being like, nah, fool, that's deception. Granted, but it's still <laughs> deception. It's not because you were by yourself. Yo, Rich, is, is this brother jumping out the bush going, oh, no, nah, yo, brother, that's five to ten. That's five to ten. <laughs> Dadgummit. Uh, shout out to Dave Chappelle. But, yeah, it's so. A, it's a ahead, good thing Tyler. Jonathan chimed in because if, uh, if he hadn't chimed in, I was going to say, interesting point, Rich. Not a great pick. <laughs> but, you know, he does. That's a unique pick, and it, it serves a good purpose in this podcast for highlighting exactly what Jonathan just said. If there's a side trophy for creativity, I think that he's taking it for sure. Yeah, yeah, points, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely a point. You know, yeah, this, this does, again, it raises this point that I, I come back to in my ministry um, over and over, and that is that I have, I find... That so too often, not so often, but too often, the way we frame the gospel is around the knowledge of good and evil and what we think is good and what we think is evil. So then you could take that text, Rich, and say that it's good not to be alone. I mean, the text says it's good not to be alone, but like, oh, we shouldn't isolate ourselves and this and that. Like, And that's instructive and that's good. But is that at heart what this text is actually indicating so that we frame the text around our knowledge of what we think is good and what is evil, as opposed to like what the text says? There's a famous uh, theologian by the name of Douglas Campbell. He's a New Testament professor at Duke, and he argues rather strongly that we don't know what righteousness is apart from the revelation of Jesus at the cross. So we can't even say this is good. This is evil unless first and foremost, righteousness itself was revealed to us. And then we were like, could we have the ability to apprehend it? And we were like, oh, oh, this is what you're talking about. So that then the ground of what is good versus what is evil, like the actual, if there's a continuum here to make sense of what is good, first has to be a revelation to us, not something that we see and impose upon. Yeah, to that point, I've even, Rich, I've heard people use this verse to be like, to talk about women being spiritually lesser mm. and how like, it's yeah. not even that she was alone. It was that she left her, her like head and her strong like protector and how women shouldn't like stray away from their husband because then they're in danger. And again, John, like that's what you're talking about. These people just have a weird idea of like the marital, I don't know, structure. So then they're like, ah we found a place where we could also put this into the text and then we can push it on others. Yeah. 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 So then, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because I've been yelled at so much and I'm not going to say who yells at me, but I've been yelled at so much for pulling stuff out of scripture. And I'm just like, see, and it's like, it just doesn't say that I'm just adding it there. And like, here's the thing. Scripture is, is strong enough. So Natalie's, Natalie's a gospel gangster, ain't she? Yeah, it's Natalie. She's just There's like, Natalie. Richard, that ain't it, bro. I'm telling you, it is not. 
Jonathan, Seventh-day Sabbath, Leonardo, who would ye- yell at me. It would be uh, my children and Natalie. All right, we're going to go on, unless anyone else had, I think we're No, let's go on, do. because that's a perfect segue to my pick. And that's too bad, because Ben's next. What? Ben's <laughs> number four. I you changed. Oh, I no, so, I did not change. I you... so badly want to steal your pick if I knew what it was. Oh, Who else is not paying attention, Tyler? <laughs> oh, man, this is so good. It feels so good oh. to say, Ben... You've got the next pick, my brother. What's up? That is actually, that's probably the best case scenario, what just happened. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Tyler. Ben is next. This is is probably the same feeling he gets when the Timberwolves just trade away another superstar every year for nothing. That has happened. (laughs) Do your pick. At least least nine (laughs) times. Okay. All right. I'm going to choose Romans 8, 28. Is this this an epistles? This is, this is my epistles. Yeah. Sorry. This is my epistles. This is, uh, Romans 828. This is one that is near and dear to my heart because I'm not going to single anybody out, but there are people that are in my life that use this in a weird, weird way. So Romans 828 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So I feel like when we read this, at least I'm sitting in this, in this, uh, chat room, I think, Pretty clear, pretty, okay, yeah, very, very easy to understand. This is how it was used with me very recently to give an example of how people misunderstand it. This person in a large gathering raised her hand and she wanted to comment on the verse after we had talked about what it meant. She then proceeded to say that at one point, God had tried to kill her brother. And he had gotten in a car accident and when her brother was almost dead, they prayed to God and asked God to change his mind and that God wouldn't kill her brother. So then she says, God didn't kill her brother then. God kept him alive. Then about three years down the road, she realized that her brother was now living a lifestyle that was not of God, and she says that it was their mistake. They should not have prayed against what God wanted in killing her brother. (laughs) So her idea of this verse, and I think a lot of other people's idea of this verse, is not that God will take suffering and bad things that happen and turn them for good. But the idea that often people project into this verse is that instead God causes every single thing that happens, good or bad, because he is going to make them for good. So for instance, your mom's dying of cancer. They, A lot of people would think, well, God has a purpose in that. He decided to give your mom cancer because he has some kind of chess game ready, where at the end of the day, you're going to think, sure glad he did that one. But the reality of this verse is much different. It's much, it's much more along the lines that when things are happening to you, when we believe in God, when we love him and we are called according to his purpose, even the worst things that can happen to you, even the hardest situations you find yourself into, God will not just let those things go. He's going to redeem those situations and those things that are happening. So for instance, if your brother's in a car accident, it's not that God was like, I'm going to kill your brother. And then you have some kind of weird ability to like, make God not kill your brother, but then that was your mistake. But it's that, hey, maybe your brother was in a car accident and God is actually going to bring good out of this situation. He's not willing to just let suffering and sin and pain win in this world. And that's the, I mean, that's the whole narrative of scripture, right? Like sin comes into the world and God says, I'm not willing to just let this go. I'm actually going to redeem this entire situation, these all of these people in this entire world. But even that, there's people that have weird ideas that like God brought sin into the world so that he could prove himself, which again, I am starkly against that idea. Yeah, there's whole there's whole denominations that believe that, Tyler. Um, 
But yeah, Ugh. wild. LOL, if you're part of that denomination, JK, but seriously. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, like, probably stop, not a good please. idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I think this is why Ben had such a strong showing in, in the first episode. And, and I got to say, Ben, great pick on this thank one you, here. Uh, the, I think the rest of us, and, and Ben's one of these two, so it's not as though that he's, he's uh, outside the camp on this one. But we're a bunch of like Theo nerds. We just like to geek out about ideas. Ben's got the heart of a pastor, man. He knows how to bring this down to the heart level. Like, we're over here talking about ideas and, like, cool. But Ben's like, let me tell you a story of how this idea caused heartache. And, man, you bring this mess home, Ben. I think that's a great pick. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It's definitely better than whatever Tyler's going to say next. Yeah, I was about to say, that's a, that's a little overhyped, but, I mean, it was a good pick. <laughs> oh, man. But that idea is so, it's so terrible. And there's so many people believe that God don't make no mistakes when someone dies. Yeah. Which, like, I mean, he weird... don't make no mistakes, but, but also didn't cause them to die just for fun. Right. Yeah. God doesn't cause their death. Yeah. I'm sorry. So wait, is it my turn? Are we done talking about Ben? Wow, I don't just, know. Jonathan, did you want to chime in on uh, Ben's pick there? Jonathan says, "Nur." He shook his head for those right. who are just listening. Uh, amazing, pick, but with a mischievous we'll, look in his eye. We'll decide uh, the strength of it uh, <laughs> later. Uh, Bald Eagle, it is now your pick. Oh, perfect! Because what Ben just said segues so perfectly into my pick. <laughs> it's like I completely disagree. My pick is that God causes everything, and Ben's a dummy. <laughs> uh, it does not segue perfectly, but oh well. Uh, mine is actually. I'm going to go with my epistles pick. Ooh. I've got a Remember, you do have two back to back picks, just telling you. Oh, I do. Yeah. Snake draft, bro. You're the last one. Oh, I wish somebody would have explained this to me. <laughs> Eddie Cornejo, who does not understand sports, finally is like, I now understand the draft, <laughs> and you don't understand. Your the draft. Eddie is what, horrible. What accent? It was an Eddie. Italian Eddie. I, oh, the draft, though. Let the man talk. Go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> Mercy. All right. So, epistles. My first one's going to be the epistles. And I'm going Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm reading a passage. It's verses 22. And uh, I'm actually just going to go maybe to 27. We'll see how much I read. But it's it's this, wives, submit to your husbands Ooh. as to the Lord. Careful now. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Can I get an amen, brother? Amen, brother. Thank you, man. <laughs> now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything mm -hmm. to their husbands. Emphasis on yeah. everything. From all the husbands, can I get an amen, <laughs> brother? Now, the reason I'm saying that is, keep reading. Uh, but just because I say keep reading doesn't mean that this is my keep reading pick. Mm -hmm. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, the reason I brought this up is uh, I used to I, I used to be pretty obsessive about uh, relations, just like relationships in general. Uh, strengths finders, personality assessments, what personalities work well together. And I remember, um, <clears throat> without throwing too much shade or anything, but there's a series about love and respect and how you use these types of passages and 
it says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And, and that's a different epistle, but same, same concept. Paul does this theme very consistently where near the end of his epistles, he talks about marriage relationships. And I remember it was like, men need respect, women need love. And it was this idea of how to have relational harmony. But in this passage specifically, a lot of people around the world will say, here, see, this is why my wife needs to obey me, because I have an authority given to me by God, and I'm going to use that authority to make decisions, and I can make better decisions because of the way that God made the male brain. I don't know. Just there's a whole bunch of crazy rationale that goes into this idea that the wife obeys everything that the husband says. Now, when it says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So husbands love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. Let us just take a second and look at this dynamic through the lens of how Christ loved the church. Hmm. In what way does Jesus Christ use his authority as the head of the church? Philippians 2 says, that he did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself even to the point of death. So if Jesus Christ uses his authority to give all authority to those who actually were once in rebellion against him, but he uses his authority to redeem and then share that authority freely with all who believe so that we could be co-heirs sitting on the throne with him. Paul also says that we will be judging angels like this is how Jesus uses his authority. He gives it freely. Hmm. So in that picture, then now I've got a story of, with Morgan where we live in Hawaii, for those who don't know. And I recently, in the last year, became pretty, pretty infatuated with surfing. And so once I got into surfing, I was like one month in, and I'm just like, oh, this is incredible. And I know the way Morgan loves the ocean and just the glide of longboarding. It's just, I'm like, oh, she's going to love this. She was like, nope, I want nothing to do with it. I was like, babe, I'm serious. You're going to love this. She says, stop trying to get me to surf. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> sheesh, <laughs> my bad. But then we go out one day and the waves were just perfect. Like you couldn't mess them up. The, they were just the kind of waves that anybody could ride. And it's going to be easy breezy. You don't even have to get your hair wet if you got some. And so... I was just like, babe, please, 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 please. And she was like starting to get irritated. So I brought in my friend, Kenna. I said, Kenna, she says no to me real easy, but she won't say no to you. So Kenna goes, he goes, Morgan, we're going. She goes out. And at the end of the day, she caught like eight waves. We go home and she's on Facebook Marketplace buying boards. Like she's, <laughs> she's messaging people and trying to buy herself a cute board. And she's hooked. And she told me that it was after this experience that the Holy Spirit brought this verse to her mind where it says, submit to your husband's. And she said, the reason why is because God revealed to me that your heart is for me, like me, her husband, my heart is for her. I know her and I'm, I actually just want what's best for her. And I'm going to lay my life down for her. I'm not going to just like say, I'm right. You need to obey. You need to submit, but I'm going to lay my life down for her because my heart is for her. And so if she says, no, fine, no worries. You can sit on the sand and not surf like I will go with you. I will lay my life down with you. I will submit even to the point of death for the sake of you because I love you. But also, I am going to also like entreat that you come with me because I know you, my heart is for you. So if we actually look at this verse, this passage, in the context that it's for believers, it's a beautiful picture. 
It's a husband that lays his life down, will not use his authority to just oppress or force anything or coerce anything, but he uses his authority to share it freely with his wife. Then that wife submits, and it's this beautiful picture of harmony. And I just think that that is very different than the way the world sees it. Kind of flips the idea of authority on its head. The authority of the kingdom of heaven is the last shall be first. You lay down your life. And that's that my is a, that, that is a beautiful, harmonious picture of love in the gospel. That's what I have to say about that. I talked Good for picks. a long time, so if y'all don't have anything to say. I'll move on to my next one, but do you guys well, I, have anything else to say? I take back all of my previous amens, and I put them at the end now. So now I say amen, brother. (laughs) That was a good good pick. I like that. Solid. Yeah. I mean, I just remember, like, somebody brought it up, like, when Morgan and I were going through all our stuff, and she wasn't loving me at all. Like, there was no submission whatsoever. And God was like, Tyler, it says to love her the way I love you. How do I love you? And he was like, I lay my life down for you. So... Lay your life down. And I was like, dang, if I'm laying my life down, I don't give a flip if she submits. I'm just going to lay my life down for her. Yeah, because in, in that moment, if you insist on the submission, uh, in the moment of like that marital, I don't know, bump in the road, if you will, it's only going to make things worse. Like she will for sure diver- divorce you and then absolutely interpret what she's experiencing as, as spiritual abuse. So there's a chance that she even leaves, not not because of you, but like there, there's this world where people who have been spiritually abused end up leaving the church as well. Mm. But you laying your life down for her like Jesus did for the church, as we know the story, was actually the mechanism by which God was able to communicate the beauty of the gospel to her. I, and I think if I were to pinpoint very specifically what I think is misunderstood about this passage, it's the idea of authority. Mercy. Authority is not something to be wielded as a as a tool, as a club of like, you must obey and submit to me. Authority in the kingdom of heaven is what God gives for you to give as well. Like freely you've been given, so freely give. Something I was just thinking about too is a big misunderstanding about this passage is people read it as a conditional statement, right? And I think men, we read it as, if your wife is like submitting to you, then love them like Christ. And I don't know if girls do because I'm not a girl, but they may think like, well, if my husband is loving me in this way and laying his life down, then I'll submit. And I think maybe there is some level to that, right? Because of like, um, just like literal danger. Um, But I think that more than anything, we read it as if God is saying, literally, if your husband is acting right, then do this. And if your wife is acting right, then you can do this. But like you're saying, Tyler, like in your situation, it was not conditional. It wasn't about, hey, if my wife's submitting, then I'll lay my life down. It's like, hey, I'm going to do what I'm called to do 100% of the time. This is not a conditional. Like, I I see what God is calling me to do, and I'm going to live that out. Yeah, you notice the way that like we become faithful to God is because he was faithful when we weren't. Mm-hmm. The way that he reversed the cycle of brokenness and broken relationship between humanity and God is because is by actually remaining faithful, laying down his life for those who did not submit. And then he actually initiates a brand new reality in which we submit to the one who laid down his entire life for us. So in our relationships, if we want them to be different than the way the world actually, and I'm speaking specifically, I think right now to marriages, if we want marriages where there's harmony and peace and covenant and it lasts and the intimacy deepens and deepens over time instead of weakens and weakens, then 
We have to be willing to lay down our life when there is no submission. And we have to be willing to submit when there is no laying down the life. Because that actually is the thing that reverses the cycle of deterioration relationally. A lot of gospel here. <laughs> Lots of gospel. All right, this is the last round, Tyler. This is our last round. You have the first pick in the last round. Give it to us. All right. Tell us now. I'll, I'll, say, I'll do this one a lot, uh, a lot faster. This one is found in Luke. In chapter Luke. This is my keep reading. It's a simple one. Chapter Luke. Chapter, it's chapter Luke, uh, book 12. <laughs> Luke chapter 12. And uh, it's this passage right here where it says, <clears throat> verse 4. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. But please keep reading. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Oh. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Fear not if you keep reading. <laughs> I don't even I'm, have to say anything. Just I didn't like even read I, the I, next I, I, I like it. I like it. I like it. I honestly didn't know those two passages were one and the same. I yeah. I had no idea. That's super good. That's super good. Man, Tyler is making a strong case. Ben, Ugh. you are on the line right now. He's making a strong case. Wait, can can I just comment it. about how Tyler used a lot of words on his first pick and his second one was like a mic drop. He literally just kept reading and then he was like, "I'm done." Respect. Respect. That was good. That was well done. Bible, guys. The Bible. Huh? Am I right? That's a fourth round pick right there. If I'm not mistaken, Patrick Mahomes was picked in the fourth round. Okay, uh, we got to take a break. Tyler was doing the most with that uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, reference there. But I want to take a break. If uh, you want to be in a Bible study with one of these guys, uh, each one of these guys is involved in a Bible study. And uh, you can be a part of it. If you text hashtag find out to 808-204-4372, we're going to send you a list of all of our Bible studies. That's hashtag 808-204-4372. We got one going on every single day of the week. So text the hashtag find out to the love reality number, and we're going to plug that mug in. But let's get back to the Bible verse draft I think I won this one. He's picking Sometimes. the 10th pick of the first round. Benjamin, your pick, my man. Correct. <laughs> Hold wrecked. up. We're not gonna we're not gonna say nothing about that pick. Is it really you, that self-explanatory? That's what you said. I said it was strong. I said it was strong. Because we're supposed to fear, but if we keep reading, then we don't have to fear. That's Tyler, really good. Tyler, tell us. Tell us tell us the dichotomy. Help us understand the juxtaposition. <laughs> There are so many people, I mean, I think that we've seen this in the comments of a certain person's post lately, who are like, the fear of God is actually like to be afraid. being terrified of what he does in our, in our hearts, our bodies, in hell. What, like this fear is paramount to understanding the gospel. That is whack tracks. And it seems to be a foundational, uh, it seems to be a foundation to people's belief in God's goodness. That's trash. And this is a verse that people use <laughs> often to support that. 
That's trash. Literally, Jesus, when he says that, that's not his point. His point is, yes, he has that authority, and yet he cares about you so much that you've got nothing to fear. So then 1 John 4 makes so much sense when he says that perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with judgment. Let's go. Like, there is no fear for those who know that God loves them. And so this this verse is the exact But that's some good news. It's the freaking good news. That's some good news, yo. Some good news. All right, fine. Move on to the next one. Tyler, I wish you would comment in said person's content, the continuation <laughs> of the verses that are being quoted in said content, because that's good news. Yeah, because I mean, see what I can do. There's, there's a powerful subversion there. It's like, yo, you know who you should fear? You should fear the one who could destroy your soul. <laughs> Now, let me tell you about the one who could destroy your soul. Let me tell you what he's like. He's the sort of person who takes account of two sparrows. And if he takes account of two sparrows, and you're worth so much more than these two sparrows. Guess what this sort of person will actually elicit from you when you see him for who he is? You won't actually fear him. That's Bro, right. that's your next that's your next Instagram reel right there. Damn, that yo. that monologue. Yeah, right, let me tell you about who you should fear. You yeah. should fear the one who takes care of sparrows. That's terrible. <laughs> I'll share that. I'll share that. Dang. And what that does to the way that we live our lives is it actually first takes away the fear of the things in this world. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you actually don't need to fear anything that might harm your body. Yes, it will harm your body. But at the end of the day, there's one that has your soul in the palm of his hand. And he loves it so tenderly. Like a little, <laughs> like a little bird. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's fire. Because, yeah, that, that's genius aversion on the part of Jesus. Like, oh, yeah, y'all want to fear? Let me present the picture of somebody who you really fear. He loves the birds. <laughs> yeah. Did you preach that, Tyler? Where did you Where did you find this verse? <laughs> what did you find? <laughs> this is this is a solid pick. This is maybe one of my favorite picks of the whole draft. I think so. This reminds me of reminds me of of when he who shall not be named was so worried about how Jesus talks about how we have to keep asking and asking and asking because that's the only way we're ever going to get something because that parable of the friend who asked, 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 and asked. And then when you keep reading that parable, I remember explaining to he who shall not be named, like, no, bro, it's just a contrast about if you can only get from your friend because you keep asking and asking, God will give it on the first go around because he's not the sort of dude that needs to hear you keep asking and asking. He's so willing to give. And I remember he who shall not be named was like, what? Where's that? And this is how generous Jonathan is, because he just gave a New Testament pick without even using it. And his pick is a couple away. What a generous guy. Okay, Ben, you're He's a sweetheart of a man. So honestly, when you said he who, who he who shall not be named at the beginning, I thought you were about to quote Harry Potter something. And I was like, oh, he's bringing out the Voldemort quotes. Nope, never mind. All right. Moving yeah. on. Moving my on. last my last one is uh keep reading, which I think this is gonna tie in nice with uh with Tyler's last one. Tyler's last one is is gonna be a great illumination of this verse. Okay, so let's go to Matthew chapter twenty-four. This is a verse that I had a I had a Bible study yesterday, and the first question this young person asked me was, Have you heard about all of these wars? Aren't you scared? Oh, and so then I said, For let's go to, finished. so then I said, let's go to Matthew 24. Cause I know what verse you're talking about. Let's read it. 
And it says, I'm going to start in verse 3. I'm going to, we're going to read halfway through verse 6, and then we'll keep reading. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Mm. And so then this is, this is, this is where like most people stop. This is where this young lady stopped. And so she was literally scared. Like she was telling me, she's like, I've been up at night. Like I'm worried. Like I'm freaked out about this. Like there's wars and rumors of wars and all of this stuff. But then if you keep reading, it says, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And what's really interesting to me <laughs> is that backwards people? is that people literally are like this means that the end is now. And Jesus is like, if you see these things, know that the end is not yet. <laughs> and it's just, it's just wild to me. Like even in Seventh-day Adventist uh, Bible studies, like the amazing facts. The yeah. Like not to throw shade at the amazing facts Bible studies because they're good. Like people have put a lot of time into them, but like in their signs of the times one, it literally is like, look, you see wars and rumors of wars since 1943, the amount of wars that have happened, blah, 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 because Jesus has said that wars and rumors of wars are the sign of the end. But they're, they're literally the sign that the end is about to start or has not yet come. <laughs> and what I really love here, too, is that he's like the literally says, if you see wars and rumors of wars, be not alarmed. Yeah. And I think we've made prophecy into this thing that it's about like doomsday prepper, like, oh, you see the Euphrates is drying up. That means you better like hide your kids in the basement and all this kind of stuff. But when Jesus brings about things about the future, like prophecy with it, whether it's Daniel Revelation or even in Matthew, the reason he brings about prophecy is so that people don't have to be alarmed. So that when things look like they're falling apart and things are going to literally just be the end, you can know that Jesus is actually coming again and he's going to put an end to all of that. And so it reminds me a lot of what Tyler was saying, because Tyler's verse starts out with this like doom and gloom, like, you know who could really send you to hell? The one that won't and loves you and is going to take care of you. And in the same way, he's like, you know what the world looks like? It's going to get destroyed and there's going to be wars and famines, but don't be alarmed because that means Jesus is coming for you very soon and you don't have to be like worried. And I think the main reason that we have prophecy, one, well, there's two reasons in my mind and there may be more. But for me, there's two. One, it gives me some like practical things to look at scripture and say, there's some, there's some divinity behind this. But also it helps me know that in the future, when things get tough, like that's not the end. Like I have actual hope to look forward to something in the future. And when things are going really, really haywire, I don't think, man, maybe God didn't see this happening, but I can look up and be like, no, God literally told me this is going to happen. And if he could tell me this was going to happen, then I know that the next thing Jesus coming is also going to happen. So then I have hope and strength. And this is why he says, hey, if you see these things, don't be alarmed. Don't trip. Don't trip. That's a good one. I think this is my favorite yeah. category. The just mm. keep reading. Yeah. It's someone a good did, one. Someone did the keep reading to several books ago, uh, later. If it wasn't Tyler, it must have been Rich who did that. I feel like this is the last two are much more in keeping with the spirit of the category of the, uh, of the <laughs> my draft. My keep reading was the next verse, Justin. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, Ben, very strong pick. We'll we'll have to see what the people say. Um, this is going to be a tough one. My last pick. Uh, and before Wait, we read, you're, you're next. Yes, sir. I'm right. Oh, ben. I'm not bad. I am. And then it's, he, he it's then it's me, then Justin. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, sir. That's how it works. All right. I thought, I thought, you, were taking some, I thought you were taking some commissioner license here and yeah. just, you know. No, I would never. I would never. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pick is found in the book. It's, it's in the epistles. It's, it's found in First Timothy. But before I give you the verse, I just want to tell you a little bit about my boy, Paul. And uh, Paul is not schizophrenic. Uh, he's not telling you to do one thing, but he can't even do it himself. He's not saying, live exactly like me, and then saying in the, other, the, the next breath, I'm trash. Uh, he is not confusing in the way that he couldn't even do it himself. And these, these are all the lies that are spread about Paul if we don't read the Bible in the context of Jesus has freed us from sin. And so the verse I'm going to is in 1 Timothy, it's in chapter 1, and it's verse 15. But you probably have to read before, but verse 15 says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's the ESV. It says, I am the foremost of the sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I'm going to go real quick. If you read in verse 13, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. What he is saying is, yo, I did some wild stuff when I was Saul, um, but God's grace and God's love and God is so amazing that he gave me the gospel to share with the whole world, even though I was the first of the sinners. Paul is not calling himself a sinner in the present. It cannot be possible. Hear me now. Paul is not calling himself a sinner in his present tense, even though it reads in the present tense. If you will read even further back to verse 8, he says that we know that the law is good if one uses his lawfully understanding this. Hold on, let me finish this one. He says it, it's not laid down for the sinners. Hold on, no, 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 no. I can't let you finish because this is one of those times. Tell me. Uh-oh. Life what did I just air. add? You just said that Paul is not calling himself a sinner in the present, even though it's in the present. Like, is, I mean, I'm a person here. Is that really the conclusion you want to get from this? But this is the conclusion like I want to get from this. And I'm about to get roasted on, on my own podcast. Here's the, <laughs> here's the conclusion that I want to give. Because it seems like Paul... a point you want to make, and now you're using this text as a little bit of license to make this point that's not really clearly made. I think what the point is this, that God is so good that he gave the gospel to a man who had done some wild stuff. I, on, on, I, I co-sign 100% because that's what Paul says, but I received mercy. Yes. But this, this, this other thing of, and I'm, I'm, I'm calling this out because this is something that is constantly bis- misunderstood by our interpreters. And this is probably a good opportunity. Like, Take it. First of all, I, for Paul's understanding of what a sinner is, Right. Mm-hmm. A, a sinner for Paul is not somebody who merely has the ability to sin. It seems as though for Paul, if you take the whole of his writings, a sinner is somebody who's separated, alien and a stranger from the covenants of God. Somebody who's absolutely 
cut off from God and does not have right relationship with God because they are not part of the people who actually are called to be in covenant with God, right? There's an understanding of, for Paul, the world that he embodies is a world that has many different gods, supposedly. But for Paul and his claim, there's only one God. And that one God has called one people into relationship with him. And that one people is Israel. Anybody else is Gentile sinners because they're strangers. They alienated. They're separated. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, but Paul's incredible revelation is that while thinking that he was included. Because he was part of Israel, according to the flesh, is that he came to find out in light of the gospel of Jesus and in light of right relationship to the law, he came to find out that through his life lived and his rejection of the simple offer of Jesus, that he was actively alienating, estranging himself and separating himself from the covenants of God as embodied and fully, fully revealed in the person of Jesus. So that in relationship to Jesus, who is the embodiment of the promises given to Israel, Paul is literally acting like the Gentiles that he so often condemned. And he's like, oh, shoot. So you're telling me I'm the screw up. So that I'm because I'm rejecting Messiah. I'm a stranger. I'm alienated and I'm separated from the covenants of God because the covenants of God are fulfilled through this one exclusive person, Jesus. And this is the point of Romans 1 through 3. He's like, so you, old man, Romans 2, 1, so you, old man, like, who do you think you are? Oh, you think because you got the oracles of God that you're good? You think because you teach the Gentiles the ways you're good? Do you rob temples? Do you worship idols? And the reason he's calling that out is because there was... Uh, uh, that sentiment that in the past, like the Jews had been corrupt in meaningful ways. Like, how can you still claim that you are chosen? And so he lays out in Romans one through three. He's like, don't you see that in relationship to the righteousness of God as laid out in the person of Jesus, we all have fallen short of his glory, both Jew and Gentile. But now a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed in Jesus and then this is the goal of Romans 4, right on through maybe 11 into 12. It's like, but now if we actually participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism and Holy Spirit living, we are no longer strangers, alien, or separated. So then when he gets to Romans 9 through 11, he's like, oh, I would so wish that my Jewish brethren, according to the flesh, would actually understand this, that the covenant is actually fulfilled in Jesus and that we're no longer separated, alien or strangers in Jesus. So when we go all the way to first Timothy, this is why first Timothy, that passage is really important to understand. I think you start back in verse five, maybe read, read verse five. Says this, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good. Right there. So it starts with verse five, because he's like, yo, the aim of our charge is love in this way. 
He's like, and there's other people that talk about this stuff not knowing what they're talking about. And what, what I want is for you not to be one of those people. Like, they talk about this stuff not knowing what they're talking about. Because if they understood what the law was correctly highlighting, they'd understand that the law is for the unjust, for the murder, for those who practice sexual immorality. And none of these people, none of these will actually inherit the kingdom of God. Like, this is how we use the law lawfully. And then this is why it continues in the first Timothy into 13 to 15, that then Paul is positioning so, himself as one of those people that use the law that way. Mm-hmm. And this is why then he comes to formerly, right? So that we can infer or correctly say that Paul in the greater theology that we see in the new Testament, he doesn't see himself as someone who's a stranger, alienated and separated, Right. But what he's absolutely highlighting is that he was once one who used the law this way, saw it this way. But apart from his behavior and just because of the revelation of God, he was shown mercy and grace. So in summary. Mm. Right. And y'all just let me drone on. We did this again. But this is good. This is good. But in summary, the takeaway is not. See, Paul doesn't see himself as a sinner. No, 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 no. The takeaway is that Paul doesn't see himself as who he formerly was because he has been brought into a new thing through Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to then say that that is under the category of the condemned, those who were separated, alienate, alien and strangers, and then you resist that category categorization as sinner with this evidence being marshaled in, that is a conclusion you're arriving to. But that is not explicitly what it seems that Paul is positioning himself at there, even though we could maybe make a claim that he's inferring that or that maybe that implication is there something we draw. Right. So I'm just to make this just a little bit longer is basically saying that hardline statement you said eight minutes ago before I started this monologue. Don't do that. So I was going to say all of that, but you cut me off, but I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you did. Uh, but, but the larger point, no, not the larger point, a point to be made is if we're looking at this verse to see that we're trash just as much as Paul is trash, then I am saying, please do not read it that way and read it, uh, in context with the rest of Paul's writings. Yeah, no, that's that's correctly stated. And, and you know, let the people know, Rich, what our relationship is like for me to actually go on this. But this is an example for people that are listening. Like, whatever you heard about love reality, we want to deal with the text as honestly and as clearly as we can. And we are sincere in our love for one another, but we are very severe in the way we want to approach the text because we do not want to be out of step and out of lock with this revelation. And that takes you to your last pick. And okay, so, New Testament left. Yeah, so or my actually last, gospels. Excuse me, gospels. All right, so my last pick. Half, half the New I don't know. Did we do? Did you do Luke eleven, Rich? I can't remember. No. Luke eleven five through thirteen. Nope. Oh, nobody's done that one. Only because clown on me for it though. I did not clown on you. You can... Yeah, maybe a little. It's good, man. I'm not mad. It's just. <laughs> Oh man, Rich. All right, so Luke 5, 11 through 13, it's just the same thing that Tyler was going on and that Ben was going on. 
where this is in the context of Jesus actually teaching his disciples how to pray. And it, it's Luke 11 opens up with the Lord's Prayer. And this is not the Matthew version, but the Luke version. And this version is, you know, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sinned against us. Uh, let's see. What version is this? The NIV. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Shout out to the NIV people. Uh, we respect you and what you've done, but not for this situation. Yeah, we ain't going there. I'm, I'm with you. I love you, NIV, but... I'm going to go just because I know you. Uh, you know what? I, I'll even switch it up right now. I'll go. Um, I'll go N- NKJV or how about, how about some NASB? Old school. Throwback. NKJV. How about I do some NASB? Right. Ooh. I'll give some NASB. Uh, 11-4. And forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation. Right. So the context is the Lord's prayer. And then in. Verse five, he goes into a parable and you got to understand a little bit about how parables are are shared and said, because um, we always think that the summary is at the end of the parable. But the point is uh, the way the parables are told in scripture, seemingly like the takeaway point can be told in the middle and then unpacked. Right. So this is how we all nerded out and have heard about this idea of a chiastic structure which is like a mountain, right? So you come up one side of the mountain, you get up to the pinnacle, you come down the other side of the mountain. The same way in storytelling. You rise all the way to the top, you make the point, and then you have equal uh, descent down the other side. It seems to be... Like the bungee side. jump bungee jump joke. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> seems, if, if I'm tracking with you, Jonathan, a problem if somebody... Because you're starting off with the proper explanation of this. But the problem would be somebody might jump into the middle, jump on the top of the mountain and jump off without ever going up, paying attention to the ascent or the descent. And that's how you end up with a wrong interpretation of whatever you're about to read. That was like so you- well stated. Okay. Dang, you just saved us like <laughs> eight minutes. Yeah, you sure did. And so like, yeah, that's, that's the problem. So that when you start the parable and you said, listen to the parable, he said to them, suppose one of your friends goes to him at midnight and says, friend, let me three loaves because a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to serve him. And from inside, he answers you and says, don't bother me. The door's already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything just because he he is his friend, yet because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So Jesus is making this point. Like the reason that this person is going to ultimately give is not because of the strength of their friendship, but because of the strength that this dude won't stop knocking at his door at midnight. And that shamelessness motivates him to give him what he wants because the embarrassment or the circumstances causing consternation or awkwardness, right? And people recognize it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then Jesus, uh, this is where he's getting to the pinnacle part, right? So, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And when we see that, we in our Western mindset, we see that as a conclusion. And we're like, oh, you see, so... We just got to be shameless in our asking and just keep asking and go, 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 go. Because the strength of our receiving is actually found in our continual asking. But no, that's getting to a conclusion that is misunderstood as like, that's the pinnacle. Or that's, that's, that's the high point of the parable. He's, he's getting like, yo, 
This is the point. Now watch as he descends. Look at what he says. Just keep reading. Now, which one of you, which one of you's fathers, oh, which one of you fathers will his son ask for a fish and instead of a fish, he will give him a snake? Or he will even ask for an egg and his father will give him a scorpion. So if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if if a friend doesn't give, if a friend doesn't give because you're friends, but gives because you're shameless, but a father on earth gives because his child asks, and that relationship is even stronger than a friend, and yet this father who gives is evil, Right. So there's there's you always see a knock against. So you have a friend doesn't give because they're a friend, but they gives because of the shame. That's the knock. You have a father who gives, but that father being evil. That's the knock. Then the true conclusion, your father, your father. How much more will he not give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And not because you consistently ask, but because the bond of relationship is even stronger. He's your heavenly father. And he's not evil. He's good. So if you ask, he gives. Mm. That's a good one. And especially on the heels of the the uh, the prayer. What's that prayer called? The, the Lord's, Lord's prayer. prayer. <laughs> <laughs> on the heels of the Lord's prayer, like this is God actually through Jesus. Like we are we are receiving a revelation of how we can relate with God. Like, this is how we can talk to him. And it's not just like asking and asking and asking. My, this last week, my sermon after Thanksgiving was like, I, I said this thing that if we pray and nowhere in our in our prayer, we use the words, thank you, then I'm not sure that we can confidently say that that prayer had faith because there's no confidence in the character of God to do what he has promised to do. So Jesus is revealing, if you ask, you will receive so you can ask the Heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit and know that He wants to give it. So if we want to go to God and we want to pray these things, then let's say thank you at the end because we actually trust in His goodness and His faithfulness to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. That brings us to the final pick of the um, commonly misunderstood or taken out of context Bible versus draft. It started out with Jaku, and it's going to end with Jaku. Ooh, bring that heater, baby. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Okay, so the verse that I want to bring up is arguably the most quoted verse of all time. Oh, God so loved the world? That's the one, brother. In the beginning, that's the one. I think that this is one worthy of note, given the recent interactions on social media, as it pertains to the character of God, as well as the end states of the righteous and the wicked. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, so for context, this is the reason why this is at least jumping off the page for me over the last couple days. I have been doing a series on Instagram on the subject of hellfire, and I'm making a simple observation. It actually started with this entire verse that Jesus seems to offer two alternatives to the end state of humanity. 
that there is one state that ends with life everlasting, and there's another state that doesn't. And the language here is perishing or death. And yet, I'm seeing repeatedly in the comment section that somehow we have culturally accepted the theology of bad cartoons and medieval mythology, if not pagan mythology, actually, to understand that death doesn't mean death, but that death actually means life. And so what I see here is a common objection to the plain reading of this passage that those who reject Jesus, that their final ultimate result of the judgment is that they die. And people are offering, no, they don't die. They are eternally, consciously tormented. Mm. That's not good. Yeah. I I don't try to uh, make this, uh, this argument off of a moral kind of like disdain for the idea of eternal conscious torment. I, I think the actual argument is strong enough on its own just to look at the whole of scripture and the narrative of scripture to come to the conclusion. But given what we've all learned about the goodness of our father and his love towards humanity and just the tenderness with which he is pleading for his children to come home, the strength of the narrative on its own, but then additionally, just how out of place it is to see God in his goodness as we now understand him in light of Jesus and the gospel to somehow offer eternal conscious torment as the punishment. I think that that's just interesting. So that's misunderstood because... It's misunderstood because people literally read it and they don't actually understand that the result is death. It's death or eternal life. It's not eternal life or eternal life in the pits of hell. It's eternal life or death. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he should believe in him shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. That's the contrast. So that Justin's saying that the way people read is like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that that whosoever believes in him should not stay alive forever in eternal conscious torment, but stay alive forever in the eternal bliss. So both of y'all are going to be alive forever, but some of y'all in bliss, some of y'all in that poo-poo. Exactly. So I saw saw somebody's comment, uh, quote, Ephesians 2, where it says that while we were dead in our trespasses and saying, so then there is a death where there are people who are conscious because we were dead in our trespasses while we were still breathing and conscious beings and then he redeemed us from uh death into life and that seems to be part of the point of confusion that would cause them to interpret this perishing in the way that they have i don't know yeah, did you respond to that one what were you gonna jonathan say jay or, or me go ahead jonathan i was gonna say that's uh that's because people don't understand the, um, I'm going to get real theological on y'all. Then I'll I think it's it. a good idea. Go for it. But this is why people don't understand the liminal stage of um, sin. So Wait, liminal, hold up. I'm going to interrupt you for definitions for those who are, are common folk like me. What's yeah. liminal? Liminal is like the in-between stage. Okay. Right? Like liminal is like that space in between when you transition from one thing to another. And people don't understand that sin itself, the state of being in sin, is a liminal stage. And what I mean by liminal is that you either have life or you have death, right? And Adam and Eve were in life, 
And the day that they ate of the fruit of the tree, they were supposed to dying, they would die. But the moment that they, the fruit of the tree, that's the moment that the plan of salvation was already in action to keep them alive so that one could come and make a way out from the condemnation that was theirs in death. So they're no longer correctly in life because they're no longer correctly in uh, the eternal agreement of being in intimate uh, uh, relationship with God that they could have face-to-face communion like they did in the garden. They are now in this in-between stage, but that in-between stage is destined and headed towards one direction and one direction only. It's death. That's why sin is like being on a train where there is a bridge up ahead and the bridge is out. Mm-hmm. Everybody on that train, that track is only going one way. They are all condemned to death. They are in death already. They don't know it, but they're in this in-between stage before the finality of it. That's what sin is like. And that's like what Romans 8 is is talking about, the law of sin and death contrasted with the law of the spirit of life. And the even that, you, sin, you, you die. That's right. And as you pursue in Romans 8, this is why this is something that we don't talk about enough and we need to. Is that when you get to about verse 20 and on, this is that creation itself is waiting for the appearing of the sons of God because creation itself has been subject to futility. Creation itself has been put in the liminal stage of sin by he who subjected it in hope. So who subjected humanity into the stage of sin? According to scripture, God did. According to scripture, it's he who subjected it in hope. Why? Because if you understand that sin is a liminal stage and that the proper end should have been death, there was one who said, no, 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 stay the death condemnation and allow them even live in this liminal stage until I can come and make a way through death onto the other side of life so that their finality isn't death. And what did he do? He came into our liminal stage in the likeness of sinful flesh and in the flesh condemned sin itself made a way through death and now invites all of us who are in the liminal stage of sin to escape the finality of death through him by going into his death and coming out the other side in his life. So without understanding that the liminal stage of sin, you misunderstand Ephesians chapter two, while we were dead in our trespasses. Yeah. Cause you were in the liminal stage of sin. I think that this is one of like this thing touches so many other of the, the bigger picture. It's, it's like a web. It's all interconnected. <clears throat> If the wages of sin isn't death, but the wages of sin is eternal conscious torment, in what meaningful sense did Jesus actually pay the penalty for sin? Because he ain't burning still, if that's the understanding. But if the understanding is that Jesus literally died, but through his own indwelling deity resurrected and overcame death, like if that's not what it is, I actually don't understand how we have a gospel. Because then Jesus did not actually pay the penalty for sin because the wages of sin is not eternal conscious torment, but the wages of sin is actually death. Quick, 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 quick there. If the wages of sin is death, Jesus did not pay the wages of sin. Jesus was paid the wages. Thank you. And let that that sink because that distinction matters. Big time. Because then, yeah. So I think, do you think people are significantly uh, angry uh, enough after hearing you just? 
I think that, <laughs> that we will find out in the comment section. <laughs> Thankfully, by the time that this episode comes out, that series has hopefully long gone, and we're back to our normally scheduled broadcast of Good Gospel. Well, I'm looking Actually, forward to going to, to read the comment section because uh, that's awesome. But hey, that concludes uh, this uh, this Bible verse draft. I thought it it, it was a pleasure. Uh, we're going to find out who won the second section. And I have a feeling right now that I'm not going to say who it is because it's one of you guys. And I don't want to, I don't, I can't give you the, we the know. satisfaction. Oh, we who, know who, who is it, it, Tyler? Who is it? Uh, we all know. We don't need to say it. Exactly. Justin Koo. <laughs> Justin I Koo. love you. I love you so much, Rich. And that's why I've got a highlight just for anybody who noticed it and, uh, is thinking it and they just want us to comment on it. Yes. Richard pronounces the word W O N. He pronounces it. Juan, as though it is J U A N, and it's it's of no fault to him. Don't 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 think less of him as a person. He's a sweetheart of a man. He just doesn't know how to say one. That's all. Well, I won this round now, <laughs> and uh, just like my son, his name is Juan Juan. All right, love you guys. Uh, this has been awesome, and we'll catch you guys on the flip flop. So fun, Rich. Appreciate it. Love you, Ben. Say something to sign off. Bye bye. Ha, 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 ha.